Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, grab a Bible and uh, turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 9. If you need a Bible under a seat, uh, you'll find a black Bible under one of those chairs, and get that in front of you, and use the table of contents, and get to the New Testament, find the book of Acts, and get to chapter 9 with me this morning. And um, as you turn there, if you've spent any time reading the Bible in your life, um, you may have thought this, or you may have never even um, admitted that you've thought this, or you've said this out loud, but I think there is a tendency as we read the Bible sometimes to see what God has done and to look at all that God has done in the past and to read the stories of the parting of the Red Sea and read the stories of the marching around of the walls of Jericho and they come tumbling down and we see over and over and over again this miraculous power of this awesome God and and yet subtly or maybe not so subtly or consciously or not so consciously we we think of, uh, of maybe God is that the God of the past of those things. And yet there's something that, as Pastor Mark just said earlier in the service, there's something about God that he's, 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 he's not, uh, those things are not just the, the things done of a God of the past, that uh, our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the power in which he's displayed in the past is the power which he's capable and able to display now, and the power which he'll forever have in the future. See, we believe something as Christians about God, that we believe God is omnipotent. We believe God is omnipotent. It means we believe he is all-powerful. It means we believe he's able to do anything, and there's nothing that our God will come across that he's not able to do. And yet sometimes, if you're like me, that you've been praying for something, praying for something, praying for something, praying for something, praying for someone, 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 and it seems like the needle has not moved whatsoever, and they can just kind of fall off our prayer list, or, or, you know, we maybe believe God can do it, but God will God do it? And and today, today, here's what we're going to do. Today, we're just going to hit the refresh button to stand in awe of a a miracle-working God. Today we're going to renew, renew our faith that we do have a God who works miracles, not only in Bible times, but in uh, today times as well. And um, what we're going to see here, um, we've been walking, you know, verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph through the book of Acts, and um, uh, we've seen over the last couple of weeks, uh, Saul, the chief persecuting officer of the church, has been saved, and uh, his life has done a miraculous 180 instantly, and uh, this guy who was coming to towns to arrest Christians and persecute Christians is now walking into synagogues and going, y'all got to know Jesus, and everyone's going, what is happening? to this guy. And um, Luke has walked us through this conversion experience of Saul. Now, we would expect Luke, as he continues to write here, to just keep going with the story of Saul and how God will use Saul or Paul for the spread of the gospel among the known world at the time. But actually what he does is he hits the pause button on Saul's story here. And for a couple chapters, he's going to highlight the ministry of the apostle Peter. And um, right away, as chapter 9 finishes this morning, in verse 32, we're going to see um, a couple miracle stories, a couple of the absolutely supernatural outworking of God that Peter gets to be a part of. There's two stories, two miracle stories we're going to study here today. Um, But in these two stories, we have a common structure to both of them. 
And I think what Luke, and I think uh, what God is trying to teach us through these stories that Luke records here, um, has something to do with these common structures we see of these two stories. Here's what we're going to see today. There's going to be a miracle. God's going to do something absolutely supernatural. The word of that miracle is going to spread. It's going to go viral. And then there's going to be a result or something that happens on a widespread level because of the supernatural work that God has done here. And it would be really easy for us today to just study these two miracle stories and go, look at how awesome our God is. And look at what he did and look at what he did in the past. But we have to renew our faith today to believe that this very God we're going to study about right now And these stories that we're going to see of what he did, there's things we're asking and begging and um, wanting to see God work a miracle in in our own life today, and we're hitting the refresh button to believe that he's still able to do that. That God has not gotten old. He's not gotten old and lost power. But rather, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, there's just some of us who, as we sit here today, Um, we need to renew the faith. Maybe we need to put someone or something back on the prayer list and today go, God, you are able to do that. And Lord, forgive me that I have just lost complete faith that you are able. Maybe we need to put something back on the forefront of our mind today and say, God, you know, I always knew you could do this, but I haven't really believed that you will. Well, today I'm renewing the faith in that because we do have a God who is able. And we're gonna see this here through a couple miracle stories in the book of Acts. And so pray with me, let's prepare our hearts and let's let God's word speak to us this morning. Father God, um, we come now as a a desperate and dependent people. Lord, we are orienting our weeks to meet together, to worship you corporately together, and then to sit under your word. Because Lord, we're desperate for your word. Our hearts and our souls walk in famished, and we want your word to fill us today. Um, God, I pray that through... uh, This part of your word, God, would you renew our faith in the power of who you are? Would you remind us of what you're capable of? God, would we not read these as just stories of the distant past, but God, would these things uh, come alive in our heart today? Would we believe, would we walk out of here believing that in 2018, right here, Lord, you are still able to do things like this? God, please. Do that in our hearts today, Lord. Um, I pray for your spirit, uh, Lord, to just uh, fall on this place in power today. I pray, Lord, for you to give us a supernatural attentiveness to your word, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, Lord, what it is you want us to hear and see. And God, would you speak now? And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 9, uh, get with me in verse 32. It says, Now... Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. Now, uh, you got to understand something about the nature of Peter's ministry at this time. Peter, uh, Peter is operating an itinerant ministry. It means he's traveling from town to town, and it says he's going here and there among them all, among all the believers. Remember, at this part of the history of the church, the church is now scattered out to different communities. The persecution against them has been sovereignly used by God to scatter them around the area, and as they scatter, the gospel 
gospel scatters with it, and we're seeing the church growing and flourishing. And now Peter, um, uh, we saw last week, the church is now experiencing a time of peace and prosperity, and Peter's using this time to visit town to town, encourage the believers, provide some instruction, and this is what he's doing. And it says, uh, now Luke kind of focuses on what happens in one of these communities, the community of Lida. And you have a map here um, uh, kind of between uh, north and northwest of Jerusalem, between Jerusalem and the Mediterranean Sea. Peter comes to this community and something happens while he's there. Verse 33 says, there he found a man named Aeneas bedridden for how long? Bedridden for eight years. And it tells us why he was bedridden, uh, who was paralyzed. And so Peter comes to Lida, and uh, he meets a man here, his name's Aeneas, and Aeneas has been laying flat on his bed for eight years. Um, Something happened eight years previously in this man's life that left him paralyzed, and for eight years, day after day after day, week after week after week, month after month after month, he did one thing, and that was laid in his bed. And now just so we can get a a bit of an appreciation of what this would have been like. Think about, think about where you were and what you were doing eight years ago. July 1st, 2010, where were you? I don't mean like specifically where were you on July 1st, 2010, but in general, what season of life were you in? Eric and I were 22 days away from our wedding. Where were you eight years ago at this time? Now, if you have that in your mind, think about all the life that has happened since then. Everywhere that you've gone, everything you've experienced, everything that you've seen, think of all of the life that you have experienced in eight years, and now think about, for this guy named Aeneas, every single day for that time span, his eyes would wake up in the morning and he would stay right there in his bed. Needed help from people, from his family, if he just wanted to shift positions in that bed. And this has been his lot, this has been his life for eight long years. That all changes today. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And we have the privilege of being 2,000 years after this and reading the Bible probably uh, for some of us many times in our life. And we go, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Like that stuff's in the Bible all the time. Imagine Aeneas in his room there in the bed that he spent the last eight years of his life in, and all of a sudden Peter's introduced to him. He comes in the room, and Peter looks at him, and he says something. He says, Aeneas, and then what does he say after that? Come on, what does he say? Jesus Christ heals you. He does not say, hey, Aeneas, uh, um, I heal you today. Get up. He doesn't say today, hey, Aeneas, today, today, um, I, I'm, I'm here with the power to raise you out of this bed. Peter knows something. He knows that he has no power in and of himself to let a paralyzed man walk again, but he knows the one who does have that power. And he says, I'm here simply as this, this vessel, this instrument on behalf of the awesome Savior King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I got a word for you, Aeneas, uh, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. 
And then right after he tells them to get up, right after he says rise, what is the very next thing he tells them to do? Not run out and tell your family. Like get, now get out of here and go show the world. Like go tell your family. Go show everyone. Um, he, says, he says rise. And then once you're on your feet, turn around, turn around and make your bed. And every mama in here is saying, amen, I knew it was biblical. <laughs> I think, I don't want to read too much into this, but I do think there's something to this. I think one of the very first things God wanted this man to do is to turn around and look at that bed he just spent the last eight years in and go make that. Because he ain't laying in it all day to day. It'll be there waiting for you when you're ready to go to bed tonight. But turn around and make your bed because your life is looking radically different from this point forward. And I submit to you today that that man turned around and he made his bed to the glory of God like no other person has ever made their bed to the glory of God. (laughs) And he makes his bed, and then the dude walks out. He walks out amongst his community and amongst his family, and, and you got to see something. And so we've seen the miracle, and now we need to see what happens from this miracle. Look, with, if you will, at verse 35. And it says, In all the residents of Leda, and then it mentions another geographic place in Sharon, all the residents of Leda and Sharon, what they saw him. And they turned to the Lord. And so you got to get this now. Um, um, this man, Aeneas, he, everyone, like they, those who know him know his story. This guy's been paralyzed for eight years. Now he's no longer paralyzed. And he's out in the community. And it says all the residents of this community, they see him. But not just the residents of this community. It mentions this place, Sharon, or we would say in English, Sharon. Uh, this is the plain. This is a plain, kind of a whole plain area um, on the Mediterranean uh, coast here. And the idea is that the word, the news of Aeneas' healing, it has spread. Like pre-YouTube, pre-Facebook, it has gone viral. Ancient game of telephone, this news has spread across the region outside of just this community. And when people see this guy... When they, when they witness what God has done in his life, what happens? End of verse 35, what's it say? What do they do? They turn to the Lord. That there's something about the manifest power of what God has done in this instance here that unbelievers see that and they go, yeah, I, I, I got nothing I got no excuses anymore. There is a God, and he is all-powerful, and he is to be Lord of my life, and I've seen this, and I'm turning today. You see the miracle. You see the, the, the miracle gone viral, the word spreading, and then you see the repenting of unbelievers to trust Jesus Christ. And if we just stopped with that story right there today, we could all stand up right now and close with how great is our God, sing with me how great is our God, and walk out of here pretty pumped, amen? And yet, Peter, right away, right away, another miracle story, same structure. I believe he's tying these together. He's building, he's kind of building the climactic moment of this. And look at where he goes now, right away, verse 36. It says, now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. 
Now, uh, so we're told of another person here, a new city, city of Joppa. Joppa's about 12 uh, miles northwest of where Lida was, right on the coast there. Uh, it's modern-day Jaffa, a part of uh, kind of a section or region of Tel Aviv. And uh, you have this, this port city here, this harbor town, and then it tells us about someone living in Jaffa, Tabitha. And uh, Tabitha, it tells us a couple things. She's a disciple. She's a follower of Jesus Christ. And she's like a model, model of, of, of a life of charity. Tabitha's the kind of follower of Jesus Christ who when she saw a need, her heart was moved by the compassion of Christ and she did whatever she could to meet the need. And this is the way in which she lived out her walk with Jesus. Now, it tells us that this life of the tangible love of Christ is cut short, verse 37. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lita was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room, All the widows stood beside him. They're weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. And so um, uh, Tabitha is dead, uh, and she is dead. Scripture wants us to know that this wasn't just some freak thing of they thought she was dead. No, the, the ceremonial washing has happened, the laying of the body in the upper room, the time of grieving and mourning over the body is happening. She is dead. The disciples who are there, they go to like last-ditch effort. They go to like um, a desperation mode. Um, they, they no doubt had heard this Aeneas story. Remember, the word of it had spread throughout the plain of Sharon. And they say, go, uh, hey, you two, you two, you two, go get Peter. Go get Peter. Go. Because like, where is he? Is, uh, he's in, um, um, in uh, Lida. Go. Find him. Peter. 12 miles southeast of here. It's met by two men. Hey, they tell the story, and Peter goes with them up right away. And as Peter walks into the room, he's met by, um, he's met by the widows. They're grieving, a group of grieving widows. And they're weeping over the body of this one they love so much because of the love in which she loved them. And they're showing, they're showing the clothes. Look, she made me this, and she made me this. Um, those clothes represented for these widows warmth, and they represented dignity. The love in which they had for the one who just sat there and sewed day after day after day to give them clothes that they would not have had. And they're grieving this. And uh, this is the scene, this, this grieving morning scene that Peter walks into. And then Peter does something we would not expect him to do in this instance. Verse 40. But Peter put them all outside. Peter walks into this scene of grieving and mourning and he looks around the room and he says, okay, um, very gently with a shepherd tone, I'm sure he said, okay, here's what I need. Can, can, can we just kind of, can we clear the room right now? Can, it, can everyone just leave for a few minutes? And no doubt a bit confused, everyone shuffles out of the room and there's Peter left with the body of Tabitha before him. 
one man alive, one woman dead, the only ones in the room. And then Peter does something in the quietness of this moment right here. But Peter put them all outside and he knelt down and prayed. I want us to notice something about this right here. In the first story, Aeneas looked, uh, um, Peter looked at Aeneas and he said, Jesus Christ heals you. He took no credit for that. He knew he didn't have that in him. Um, now that the room is quiet, the very first thing Peter does is he gets down on his knees and he prays. He is a man. This is the apostle Peter. If anyone should have a little bit of like confidence that he could do something pretty awesome supernaturally, he's probably the guy, one of the guys at the top of the list. And yet he understood something. I can't bring a corpse back to life. It is only God who is the giver of life. And Peter, I just want us to see this physical picture of complete dependence on the Lord. In a quiet room, he gets down on his knees. And then he, he does something we would have thought was crazy if we would have been in the room with him. But Peter put them all outside and he knelt down and he prayed and then turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and he raised her up. No, 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 don't grow too familiar with that. Understand what just happened here. She was dead. Peter says, Tabitha, arise. Her eyes open. She sits up. She looks at him. He gives her his hand. He helps her out of bed. And then, and then, then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. Oh, what kind of party that would have been. Imagine the awe of this. Imagine the worship of this moment. The manifest power of God to put a paralyzed man back on his feet, to breathe life back into a corpse. And now um, we see the miracle. Now look at verse 42. And it became known throughout all Joppa. You think? I mean, there's Tabitha in the, the city center and parents are going, hey, do you see? And the kids are going, what are you talking about? She was, she was dead. She's alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa and what happens. What's the next three words? It became known throughout all Joppa and the next three words are, and many believed. And many believed in the Lord. And an update on Peter's ministry and he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. You see... Two miracle stories here, a common structure to both of them. The miracle, the word of the miracle going viral, and the result of this miraculous work of God um, that is leading to the saving of many 
lost. And I want to just uh, work through now this structure a bit. And I think there's something to this structure that's applicational for us in studying these stories 2,000 years later. And the first thing I want us to see this morning is this. It's a bit obvious, but it needs to be stated. God is a miracle worker. That is intently, that is intentionally worded. That does not say God was a miracle worker. It says God is a miracle worker. And as I said at the outset, I need to say it again, that we need to today walk out of here refreshed with an awe of the power of a supernaturally working God. That we've all just fallen guilty, we've all fallen prey to just believing that like, I know God can do this, but I just don't really believe. And today is the day we say again, God, I believe you can do this, help my unbelief with it. We've prayed for this prodigal for decades and there's no movement. And today, Lord, is the day it can break. Today is the day they're coming home, Lord. You can do this right now. Today is the day we say again afresh that our God is able. He can do it. Yes, he can. You you guys know that song? You want me to sing that song for you? He can do it. Yes, he can. He is able. He's not old and worn out. He's not, he is not, he did not just work in some ways back then of how he manifests his power. He can do it. Our God is a God of supernatural power. Our God is a God of miracles. He is able. Now, on this point, I was thinking about something this week as I was studying this. There's no doubt in my mind, that there were many towns in which the apostles did ministry where I'm sure there were other paralyzed people. There's no doubt in my mind that there were probably other towns that Peter had come to and someone had just died. And there was a family gathered around their bed in much the same way we see the scene with Tabitha. There's something that I think is important to raise this morning and ask the question, um, why does God restore Aeneas, a paralyzed man, to walk again? Why does God raise Tabitha? And yet there were probably some other very good folks um, who were never restored from their paralysis. There were other very good family. There were other disciples of Jesus Christ who had just passed and their family would have loved nothing more than to see them raised back from the dead right in their moment and yet God didn't do it like that. I think it's important for us to raise this question and to walk out of here with uh, our heart in a, in a certain place. My God is able to do anything. And if he does, we're going to worship him for, with the worship that he deserves. And if in his wisdom and in his sovereignty he doesn't, we're going to worship him in the way that he deserves. Let me introduce you to my sister if I can. Uh, her name's Liz. And uh, Liz is uh, only about five foot, but she's the toughest of us all. And uh, you don't want to tangle with her. And uh, she, um, uh, the doctors think... Um, somewhere after she was able to develop most of her ability to speak, uh, Liz lost her hearing. And so sometime um, as a very young child, she lost uh, nearly, not quite technically all, but nearly all of her hearing. Um, she, 
lives life with a cochlear implant um, that assists her, and uh, she can read lips in a way that will absolutely blow your mind. And uh, when we were watching sports growing up as kids, the coach would pull a player over to the side, and the camera would cut to him, and we'd say, Liz, what's he telling him right now? And uh, she would relay the coach's message to us as we sat in the living room there. And uh, uh, my sister has never known what it's like to wake up in the morning and hear the birds sing. My sister's never known what it's like to sit on the seashore and just uh, kind of be ushered into the calm of just listening to the waves. And um, uh, it was a couple months ago, probably six months ago at this time, it dawned on me one day, I've lived uh, 30 years of my life, and uh, I'm, I'm a bit ashamed to admit this, I've lived 30 years of my life, and up to about six months ago, I never just simply prayed and asked God to make her hear. You know, you, you go to the doc, you go to all these doctors, and I'm pro-doctor, by the way, okay? But, you, you know, and you do all of these things, and like, you know, the cochlear implant, and it was a miracle, like, she got out of that surgery, and you're like whoa, you know, you can hear some things you couldn't, but I just never, like, hey, God, just give her a hearing. Like, you can do that. And I've just started praying this prayer regularly over the last six months, and and I think as I'm praying this, I'm really believing that God can do it. Like, if he wants to, right now, wherever she's at, hopefully you're at church, Liz, and um, you, you can make her hear right now. And so we started praying this prayer, and guess what's happened? Nothing. Nothing yet. There, there seems to be no indicators that she's gaining any more hearing than she's ever had. There seems to be no movement on this. And um, um, why, why, why doesn't God just restore her hearing right now? Because he is God and I'm not. I don't know. Like, it'd be foolish for me to wax eloquent on some deep theological da 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 I don't know. Because he is God and I'm not. And here's what I do know. God will work all things to his glory. I'm pretty sure of that. And if God, for his glory, wants to get my sister up one day and she goes, I hear the bird, I hear. And if that will bring him more glory, God, do it. But if for some reason in your wisdom and your sovereignty... You want her to live her entire life and never hear those things, and that will bring you more glory in a way that I don't understand. God, do that. And I think about that. What if God just decides, I know I'm never going to restore her hearing here because I'm working something in all this for for my greatest glory in this. I, I always think about this. What if the first thing she ever hears clearly is, well done, good and faithful servant. That'll be pretty sweet. I think all of us today, Moving our heart to a place where we believe, walking out of here with absolute faith, God, you can do this, whatever this is. And yet, God, if you in your wisdom and your sovereignty and in your goodness decide to never do what I think should be done, done, you are still good and you're still worthy of worship. He is a miracle worker. The second thing I think we see in the structure of these stories is this. News of God's miracles will go viral. What is God doing as he works the supernatural out in this natural world in which we live as we see miracles happen in our lives and in the lives of the loved ones we've been praying for? Uh, the news of this begins to spread 
Remember what God is doing through this. He's working all these things for his glory. And when news of the power of God begins to ripple effect and begins to go viral, and people are looking for all sorts of natural explanations of how that happened and, and this and that and that, it leads to this third thing we've seen in both of these stories, and that is this, that witnessing God's miracles leads many to saving faith. That we can expand the horizons of our prayers for God to, to work supernaturally and miraculously in some things outside of just ourselves and outside of just the one we love who we're praying for. But Lord, we can say, Lord, do this because we believe as you show off your power, all of these people who are watching, my family, my friends, coworkers, neighbors who know what's going on, and then when they see you pour out of a supernatural power, they're going to go, that, that's God. And in seeing your power on display, they will turn in saving faith to Jesus Christ. God, church, God still works miracles to glorify his name for the love of his people and to rescue the lost. And I pray today that God will somehow work this message in our hearts in such a way that we walk out with a greater faith and a hugely awesome, powerful God that for some of us in here, we restore and put back on the prayer list some things that have fallen off years ago, that some of us in here are deeply encouraged about some things we've not seen any movement in, and that God will get glory for his name. And just uh, as we close here, four, four people I just want to address you're sitting in here today, four people. Uh, the first person sitting in here today is the person who needs to believe again that he is able I can't imagine what it's like to have someone you deeply love on a prayer list for year after year after year and see no, absolutely no movement. In fact, to see from all of the outward signs, it looks like they're just falling farther and farther and farther away. The prayer today is that you would walk out of here again with your faith refreshed to say he is able. And we're going to pray to that end. The second person I want to address in here. It's the person who needs to be good with his sovereign plan. And I, I, I totally understand that I can't know the circumstances of what that is that you need to be good with his sovereign plan is. I don't want to say that flippantly. I don't want to raise anger in your heart because I have no idea the deep pain you might be walking through it's with some specific things going on. But I do know it's healthy for our hearts to get to the place where we say, God, you can change this at the snap of the finger. And Lord, I'm going to pray to that end. I'm going to pray and beg out and cry out day after day after day. And yet, Lord, if that never happens, you are God and I am not. And I will trust you and I will worship you and I will still say you are good. Just the second person, moving our heart to a place where we're good with this plan. The third person is this. Those of us in the room have been praying for a supernatural pouring out of God to, to, to drastically change someone or some situation, but we've been, so, we've been so narrowly focused on like us and that person that we begin to uh, spread the focus of our prayer a bit. Yes, God, do this thing for your glory and do it for, for, for the good of the ones that you love, but Lord, also do it for all of the lost people who will see this and will come to saving faith in you because of it.
Lord, do it for that. And then this last person, if you're here and you're, you're, not, a, you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I just want to speak very directly to you. If you've seen the powerful outworking of the greatness of God in your life, you've seen that there is a God and that there, he is powerful and that there's no other explanation, but you've spent the majority of your life trying to explain away the very works of God, keeping him at a distance and stiff-arming him. Um, may today be the day you finally surrender and say, there is a God, and he is the God of the universe, and he is all-powerful, and he loves me, and today is the day I surrender. You see that in this story of lost people just saying, how else does a dead woman raise to life? There is a God. And he's the God of the universe and he's all powerful and he breathes, he breathes life into the deadness. And it says they turned to Jesus Christ and it says many believed in Jesus Christ. And today some of you need to stop making the excuses and to stop saying, well, you know, that happened because X, Y, and Z and all of the, no, no, no. That happened because God And God has you here today to reveal himself to you in power and to, 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 to tell you that he is God. He's the God of the universe and he's the God of your life. And he wants you to surrender today. The Bible tells us that that surrender happens the moment we call on Christ in faith. For we are saved by the grace of God through faith. Period. Goes on to say, not by works. So the call to you right now is not to surrender to your life and to go, man, now I'm going to live here trying to be a better moral person. The call to you right now is to surrender. And to say, Lord Jesus, I see for the first time you are God and you are to be Lord of my life. And I'm not lived like that. Lord, today is the day. I'm yours. Do with me what you want to do. I can't explain away your power anymore. I can't explain away all these things you've done. I've tried and I've tried, but I've tried because I've just wanted to stiff on you and I haven't wanted to live for you, but I surrender. I'm done. I'm completely undone. I'm yours. Today is the day for that. You want to know something? Our good and gracious God, regardless of where you've been and what you've done, he saves and then you know what happens when he saves? This party breaks out in heaven. I'm telling you, read the Bible, it says it, it does. The angels just go absolutely nuts. And a party breaks out in heaven because of a God who's relentlessly pursued you with his love, has captured you, and you're his. Some of you today is the day of surrender church just stand with me right where you're at we're going to worship <clears throat> before we do I just want to pray over the four these four types of people sitting here today whatever God's doing in your heart Mary meet you here right now Father God I pray right now Lord I pray for, the, for those in here who need to believe again that you're able I can't know the extreme difficulty of some of the specific circumstances of what they're praying for right now. 
a child just totally, totally gone and wrapped in sin. Lord, would you restore faith today that you are the God who returns prodigals home for an impossible circumstance. They just see no human explanation for how in the world this can turn around. Uh, Restore today the faith that you are the God of the impossible. God, I pray today for those who need to, to finally say, who maybe they've been bitter and angry, maybe they've just been numbed out, maybe whatever it is, but Lord, today is the day they just need to surrender to your good and sovereign plan and say, okay, Lord, I don't get it. I probably never will, but you're God and I'm not, and I'm good with that. God, I pray for all of us that as we pray for miracles and we pray for your supernatural outpouring of your power, Lord, that we would expand our prayers to include unbelievers who are going to see this and they're going to turn to you in faith. And God, I pray in power for the unbeliever in this room right now, which your spirit pour out, God. And would the tow rope of your grace latch onto their heart and pull them to yourself right now. God, would they cry out and say, save me, Jesus. Lord, we believe in your power, the power of your spirit to bring dead hearts to life right now. Thank you, Lord, for your supernatural power. How great are you, our God. In Jesus' name.